so good to be here with you all today. Um, I'm so glad you're here. If we've not met, my name is Matt Hatch. I'm one of the leaders here. My privilege to unpack the Bible to us. Um, if you've got a Bible, do you want to just wave it at me? Like you're a preacher. There we go. I've got one person waving their phone at me. Great. Um, so if you've got a Bible, we're in week four uh, in our study of the book of Romans. Um, if you want to turn to the book of Romans with me, it's in your New Testament. It's going to be on the screen as well. Um, and I'm going to read the first eight verses of chapter five. And uh, you can read along with me on the screen. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let me pray for us as we study this together. God, please open our eyes to see and believe the treasures that are in this passage. Thank you so much for how deep and wide your work of transformation is in our lives. And we offer you our hearts and our minds tonight. Please speak to us through the Bible. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, verse one is absolutely vital in understanding this passage. Verse one says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith. Paul, who's the author of this letter, has taken four chapters to explain something called justification by faith. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say in a good preaching voice, justification by faith. Very good. You said it like you knew what it was. But what is it? What on earth is justification by faith? Well, it's absolutely key that you understand justification by faith because Paul's saying, because of justification by faith, I'm going to show you a load of benefits of it. So just to back up a little bit, I thought I would demonstrate through drama what justification by faith is. I can feel the excitement in the room. Yes, let's do it. So I've got some actors to help me. Could you make your way down now? Uh, give them a round of applause. To on this side. This side. This side, Tom. With Liv on this side. Now, we have not practiced this at all. So what could go wrong? So I'm going to talk us through it. So... Um, could you just stand on the other side of Jack? This is God. Yeah, and God, there's some booze for God. Uh, so God creates mankind. And to symbolize the connection between God and mankind, I want you to all hold an invisible rope. And this connection was strong. Everything was good about this relationship. But Romans 1 and 2 tell us 
that mankind were constantly pulling on the rope. They were constantly fighting against God. God wanted to be Lord of their life, but these guys, they kept on wanting to be gods of their own lives. And so what happens? Well, after pulling and pulling, God finally gives them over to their sinful desires and he lets go of the rope. Great. Could you fall down like you've uh, been pulling yeah, on the ground? Thank you very much. Excellent. This is going so well. Um, so here they are. Mankind away from God, and there is a gulf between them and God. And because the problem is at their end, they can't fix it. The problem is in their hearts. The problem is sin and selfishness, the desire to be God themselves. And because they can't fix the problem, and because they've gone against God, God judges their behavior and finds them guilty. Subject to his wrath, subject to sort of separation from him. But because we believe the God of the Bible is a God of love, God sends the most precious thing to him, his son, Jesus, to come and live amongst mankind. And in living amongst mankind, he shows what relationship with God is like. So he's holding on to the rope. He's showing them as an example, this is what life with God is like. But there's still a gap that needs bridging. And Jesus finally realizes that he's going to be the one that mends the gap. And he does it through dying. And a horrible thing happens. The people that he came to save take Jesus and nail him to a cross. And it's on the cross that Jesus takes the punishment that we are all due because of our sinfulness and selfishness. And then they take him down from the cross when he's died and lay him in a tomb. And it's in the tomb that three days later, he miraculously rises from the grave to prove everything he did and said was true. And he says to his followers, if you believe in me, if you put your faith in me, I'm going to restore that relationship with God. The bridge, the gap between us can be bridged. Right. Can you give these guys a round of applause? Thank you so much, everyone. So it's by trusting in Jesus that we are given right standing before God. Now, Romans 1 verse 4 tells us, and if you just look at this diagram, um, next slide, that we start in the top left-hand corner with all those negatives. Sin is against us. And as we put our faith in Jesus, then he cleanses us from our sin. He wipes the slate clean. But in one sense, that makes us neutral before God. And so what Romans 1 to 4 tells us is that God takes the, everything that is right about Jesus and gives it to us. So we have Jesus's right standing for ourselves if we put our faith in him. And this is justification by faith, that God puts us right before God when we trust in him. So that is our starting point. Everyone sort of up to speed, roughly speaking, that is justification by faith. The question is, why is that so important? If you're a Christian here in the room, 
Why is it really important for you to know that you're justified by faith and there are many benefits for you? Well, pretty early on, I realized when I became a Christian that it is impossible to live for Jesus and change your behavior just by, um, uh, just by trying to behave differently. That only lasts so long. What's needed is a deeper internal change of the way that you think and, more importantly, the way that you believe. And so uh, what I found was this. In my Christian life, I would try and live for God and certain lies and untruths about God and the gospel would stop me from being in the good of my relationship with God and also the way that I love others. The lies would speak too loudly to me. What I needed was truths or weapons, if you like, powerful truths that would overcome the lies that I deeply held within. And Romans 5 is like walking into an armory full of weapons that will help change the way that you think and believe that will in turn change the way that you live. And it's only when as Christians we are free that we've got something to offer other people. Because we believe that God has changed us from the inside out, and as we start to live out of the goodness of those truths, then I think we've got something to offer the world. There's a freedom, there's a joy, there's a peace that is contagious. And so that's where we're going today. I want to give you four massive benefits of why we've been uh, justified by faith and how it impacts the way that we live. So number one, verse one, I want to talk to you about peace with God. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say peace with God. Peace with God. Verse one tells us, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is not to be confused with the peace of God which is a calm and quiet confidence in the middle of difficulties and pressure. The peace of God comes to us from time to time and is a subjective thing. What Romans 5 verse 1 is talking about is peace with God. Peace with God means that we're no longer enemies with God. Hostilities have ceased. It's an objective reality. It's a legal declaration over our lives. And it's not dependent on feelings. Romans 5 says, until we trust in Jesus, we are spiritual orphans. We are people that are enemies of God, separated from our good heavenly father. Why enemies? That's like a weird thing to hear in church when we always talk about a God of love. Why are we enemies of God? Well, think about it. Before you commit your life to Jesus and when you sin, you not only break God's law, but you assume the right or authority to do so. So in a way, you're claiming kingship over your own life and your world. And the problem is God originally created you to submit to his kingship. And so when two parties claim kingship or kingly rule over the same things, there is war. You become enemies. And on top of that, we've already seen that our disobedience means that God is a problem with our sin. We're facing judgment and wrath. God's wrath is not the same as ours. It's not vengeful. It's not vindictive. It is legal. It is right. There is a sentence or debt over us that cannot be wished away. Just as if you were brought up in, uh, uh, you had to go to court for something you committed, the evidence was presented. 
you were clearly guilty and the sentence was pronounced. You couldn't just stand up and say, oh, it's okay, the judge is nice, he's going to forgive me, I can walk out, it's all going to be all right. No, you are guilty, a sentence has been pronounced. And so peace with God is not something we earn, but rather it is given to us as we believe in Jesus, who takes the judgment on our behalf, who pays the price, who takes uh, the debt that we owe. Incredibly, Jesus offers peace with God, and people that were once enemies become family. And that's good news, and no one is smiling at all, but that is good news, that we were once God's enemies, but now we have become his friends. Now, the important thing is to ask, why is that important? Like, How does that make a difference to your everyday life? Well, it's important if you struggle to believe that, perhaps because of things done to you or done by you. Perhaps it's really hard for you to believe that you and God can now be friends. Um, my wife and I, um, a few years ago, uh, had the tremendous privilege of, uh, of discipling uh, a lady who'd actually had an awful upbringing. She'd been abused in her own home, dreadful things had happened to her, and she could never see herself as God's friend because she felt that she could never be clean. She felt she was never good enough because of what had happened to her. And she could never imagine being brought close to God. She always felt this distance. She always felt like an enemy when it came to God. She, if you like, uh, I don't know if you heard from the Second World War, but sometimes Japanese soldiers were found sort of in the jungle years after the war had finished, still thinking that they had an enemy to fight. Well, this lady was still at war against God. She needed to know the war was over. She needed to know that Jesus dealt decisively with the problem between mankind and God the Father and that lasting peace with God could be found because Jesus had won it for her. So today, some of you need that first weapon. Some of you don't believe because of what you've done or what's been done to you that you can be friends with God. Well, Jesus wins you peace with God. It's incredible truth. Secondly, uh, our second out of four, I call standing in grace. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say, standing in grace. Standing in grace. Verse 1 tells us, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have Peace with God through Jesus Christ, that's our first weapon. Then secondly, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase, a state of grace. A state of grace. If you're in a state of grace, it means you're surrounded by good things. It's a status or position where um, God's love, God's undeserved favor is very apparent to you. It's almost like an atmosphere that you're living in. And the Apostle Paul says that's what we are standing in. If you've put your faith in Jesus, you are standing in a state of grace. And the way into that state of grace, grace or the doorway is faith. And this phrase, because Paul is a, 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 had a Jewish upbringing, he's not only thinking about um, a state of grace, an atmosphere of grace, but he's thinking as well of, of the temple and the place of God's presence and the Holy of Holies where only one person once a year would, was able to go. And he's saying that you're, through the grace of God, you're able to stand in that place of God's presence. 
It's a place where you experience the goodness and love of God. And it's an objective rather than a subjective reality. And so if I run away from you all into the foyer and down the stairs, I don't know where I'm going, I hope you can hear me, and over here, I've entered a totally different place to the rest of you. And I've got some people looking at me through the window wondering, what on earth is he doing? But anyway, I'm in a different place to you, but I'm still in the presence of God. And as I come back in the room, I'm still in the presence of God. I can go anywhere in the whole building. Could you hear that, by the way? Yes, excellent. (laughs) That would have been really embarrassing. (laughs) Um, Wherever I go in the building... I might change my location, but I'm still in the presence of God. It's an objective reality. Anywhere you go in the world, if you've put your faith in Jesus, then you are always in the room that has God's presence. And that's so important. I feel quite out of breath now. Um, That's so important if in the room tonight you feel unworthy. Perhaps you're someone that's come to church tonight knowing that you failed knowing that perhaps you've not been the person that you wanted to be as a Christian. Perhaps you have given yourself to stuff that you just know takes you away from God. Perhaps you have hurt someone with your words. Perhaps you have come to church feeling defeated tonight. Well, the truth that will fight against the lies that tell you that God doesn't like you anymore and you're far from him is that you're standing in grace. And what often happens is that if you're a Christian here tonight, you can end up doing stuff. You know that God is not God's best for you. And rather than sort of bringing you back to God, it actually forces you away from him. And we can often feel actually that we need a period away from God to almost sort of make up for the wrong that we've done. Many of us beat ourselves up in this place and sort of like the worse we feel, the more almost we feel like we can come back to God. I don't know what sort of gymnastics we do in our head. But the truth is, when we muck up and when we don't live the life God wants for us, the best thing to do, the immediate thing to do is to run back to him because it's with him you will find power to not run away from him. The further away you get, the harder it is to live for God. And so this is a formidable weapon when you realize the grace you're standing in is permanent. It's not sporadic. When you believe that it's not precarious, but it's secure, it will keep bringing you back to God. So peace with God, standing in grace, the third benefit of justification by faith is that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Verse 2 says, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. What on earth does that mean? Well, I think this is talking about the hopeful anticipation of sharing in God's future glory. The English word here is hope, and it's not a great word. Hope is a word that English people use to when we're wanting something without certainty. So I hope it's not going to rain. I hope I'm getting chocolate for my birthday. 
I hope my jeans still fit, you know, just to pick some random hopes that any of you might have. The original, the original Greek word, when it was originally written down, is the word elpis. And we translate that hope in the English, but it actually means a conviction. Christian hope isn't this hopeful wish, but it's this hope-filled conviction. It's a certainty of what? Well, it's a certainty of the glory of God. And what is that? Well, I think that is talking about a Christian's expectation that we have glimpses of God's glory, his holiness, his goodness, everything that is glorious about God is his glory. We have glimpses of that in this life, but we will experience it fully when we go to heaven. And it makes sense that this is our third benefit because the more you experience peace with God, the more you trust that you have access into God's presence, the more that you will want to seek his face and the more assured and certain you will be about the prospect of glory in heaven. It works when I'm away. If I'm in another country and I Skype into my wife Pip, we will have a conversation, but it builds anticipation for when I actually return home and see her face to face. So it's like a tantalizing taste of the relationship, but there's a moment where we actually get to see each other close. And that is the life of a Christian. In this side of heaven, we get tastes of God's glory. And that builds up a certainty. It builds up this hope, this steadfast hope that there will be a day where we will see God face to face. And so again, how does that help us? How does that truth help you? Well, listen, if you're someone that struggles with negativity, if for you the light at the end of the tunnel is an oncoming train, or the glass is always half empty, my guess is that if you're a pessimistic sort of person, you'll struggle uh, with the truth. You will believe lies which tell you it's never going to end. It's never going to get better. This life is awful. This is all there is. Well, if that is you, if you are a negative person, then the truth you need to fight against those lies that will change you deep down is that life will only get better. Life will only get better. There is a glorious day where you will step into God's goodness and glory. And so your story always has a happy ending if you've put your faith in Jesus. And that is gloriously good news. Your story will have a happy ending. Okay, why don't you turn to the person next to you and tell them the three benefits of justification by faith that we have looked at so far. Peace with God, standing in grace, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Number four. Anyone get those three? Yep, three people. Fantastic. It's always encouraging to do this as a preacher. Number four, we rejoice in our suffering. Verse three, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. This is a big one. It's important that you hear this correctly. This isn't rejoicing for our suffering. That is just masochism. 
but I've met people that do rejoice for their suffering. Some people feel the need to be punished for their feelings of guilt and unworthiness. And I also know some people that always think God wants them to take the hard option in life. And so often people are faced with different decisions. And you might hear people say, oh, I always feel God wants me to take the one I really don't want to do. And it's almost like, that's the one. I can't see why I should do it. I'm not even very good at that, but I just think I should do that one. If you know people like that, or if that's you, then I would say to you, be very careful. It looks spiritual, but often has its roots in trying to earn God's favor. They think God will be more pleased the greater the suffering. And this is salvation by works, not faith. This is about paying God back. This is about earning our salvation. And that's not how it works. That's not justification by faith. So Christians should rejoice in sufferings. This means they don't celebrate the actual troubles themselves. Rather, the Christian knows that suffering has beneficial results. It's like they can look through the suffering that's in the foreground. They can look through it to something on the other side, something better that awaits. And in fact, it's actually helpful to see suffering as beginning a chain reaction that involves three steps. Number one, suffering produces perseverance. That's what it says in the text. And perseverance means single-mindedness. And you will know this, that any sort of suffering we experience gives us a focus, it gets us in the zone to think about what's really, really important in life. There's a realigning of your, our priorities of God, of family and friends. So suffering produces perseverance. It produces a single-mindedness in us. That, in turn, produces character. Perseverance produces character. And character refers to the testedness that is a quality of confidence that comes from being a through a difficult time. It's the poise, it's the standing of someone who's been through something and survived. You've performed well and therefore you have confidence to face similar difficulties. It's a bit like an army recruit that's facing basic training and they will um, shed blood, sweat, just have really, like pain, all that sort of thing to get through the basic training. But once they've graduated, they will look on the assault course in a different way. They'll know, they, there's a poise. There's something about them that just says, I've been through it. I've got, I've made it through. That's character. And then character leads to hope. And this is a stronger assurance of your peace with God, your standing in grace, and the future hope of glory. It's a stronger assurance of that. Suffering often takes away the scaffolding of our lives, and we see what is really needed to keep us standing. And if you let it, suffering will produce hope in you. Um, my wife and I know um, uh, a guy called Phil, who is the UK's oldest surviving paraplegic. So he was a gymnast who had a trampolining accident. He broke his neck and is paralyzed from the neck down. And recently he's lost his wife to cancer, but he has spent the last 50 years in a wheelchair. And when I look at Phil's life, here's what I see. I see a life of difficulty, and believe me, a, 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 like a horrendous life of difficulty, combined with a deep understanding of justification by faith, plus 
single-mindedness, character, and hope. And all that together produces a life well-lived. And it's just an honor to be with this man. It's an honor to spend time with him because just through it, he's managed to push through in the grace of God and come out the other side. And for me, it says this. It says that your circumstances, your suffering will either crush you or mold you. And so our final question is, what is the secret then? How do we make suffering worthwhile? How do we use it so that character and hope grows in us? Well, the answer is in verse 5. And verse 5 says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The thing that stops bitterness and anger at God because of your trials overcoming you is leaning into God's love for you. Letting the Holy Spirit, let, uh, letting the Holy Spirit pour the love of a heavenly Father into your lives. And that protects you from thinking that God is absent in the pain or punishing you. And I know many, many Christians that have experienced more of God's love in their moments of suffering than they have without them. And that is quite incredible that God has wired us and the world like that. When Paul says suffering starts a chain reaction that leads to hope, he's saying that the benefits of justification by faith are not diminished by suffering, but actually enlarged by it. However, if you have a mindset of justification by works, you want to earn your relationship with God, you want to pay it back, then you need to know that the suffering will break you. Just think about it for a moment. This is really important. People wanting to earn their salvation are actually constantly insecure because they know they're not living up to their own high standards, let alone God's, but they can't bring themselves to admit it to anyone. So when suffering hits, it is nearly impossible for them to not immediately feel like they're being punished for their sins, punished for not achieving the standard that they've set themselves. And uh, I was discipling uh, a guy at a different gathering just recently, who's been through a horrendous time in his life. And when you speak to him, he is angry at God. He's saying, I deserve better than this. I've given everything to God. And it is my right that God should be kind to me while I'm struggling like this. He's bitter. He believes God owes him. And he's blind to anything at this point that we say. If you have justification by works as your foundation, suffering will drive you away from God rather than towards him. Because you will only see the suffering as a bad thing, as a punishment, as God's way of getting you back. Or you will believe that God owes you something. And what he owes you is a nice life. And that is not how we are saved. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. God owes us nothing. So many of you are suffering right now, I know. 
Some of you have got grief and loss in your life that you've never experienced the depths of that before. Some of you have got pressure at work, like you just feel like work is consuming you. Some of you have got difficult relationships. It's with like within your family or within your friendships. Some of you are struggling with illness. And you know, I love seeing people that in the depths of their pain are still choosing to lean into God's unfathomable love for them. Because I know that even, I, I wish at points I could just take away the bad stuff for people, but I know if they are leaning into God's love, then they will grow in perseverance, character and hope. Because that's a promise to us that that will happen. So I want you to see that Romans 5 is an armory. We have the Royal Armouries here in Leeds. It's free to go to. You can go and celebrate the weapons of war if you choose to. Um, But it's a brilliant place to go to be reminded of the weapons that are at your disposal if you're a Christian. Our war chest of the benefits of justification by faith is open to us tonight. And I want you to raid it. I I don't want you to think that you can just do this stuff on your own. I want you to see the power of the lies that lead you away from God. And I want you to know how much more powerful are these incredible truths of our justification by faith. And I want us to be a people, even in the midst of suffering, that find the love of God. And perhaps that's what you need tonight. That perhaps you know about the love of God, but you don't know what it feels like for it to be poured into your heart. And we're going to take communion. We're going to worship together. And it might be that the courage that you need to show tonight is just by asking someone to pray for you, to be freshly filled with the love of God, because it will draw you close to him and get you through whatever it is that you're going through right now. Amen. Amen. Amen.